Hi, I'm Tennille. And I'm Kelsey. And we're financial advisors from Allman Partners True Wealth, bringing you thought-provoking conversations around you, your money and your life on the Wealth Experience Podcast. Welcome back for another episode of Wealth Experience. We have another special guest today, Karen Hall, who's the owner and mortgage broker at Action Finance. She has over 12 years of experience in providing top-notch lending solutions to the community. She's also a multi-award-winning mortgage broker, with her most prestigious achievement being uh, awarded AFG's overall Queensland Champion Broker for 2020. On top of this, she has raving fans in her client base with a constant outpour of support and praise coming her way through social media. Welcome, Karen. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We're so excited to have you here today. I think lending's a very, very um, uh, interesting space and um, definitely a big part of of finance. So Absolutely. But first of all, Karen, it'd be really good for us, well, we already know you, but for our audience <laughs> to get to know a little bit more about who is Karen Hall um, and your husband, Greg, as well, who you work with, and you've got two adult daughters as well. Yes. Um, so tell us a little bit about you and what you do in your spare time. Well, being self-employed, there is not much spare time, <laughs> but when we do manage to carve out a bit of time, Greg's heavily into triathlons and Ironman events, so I get to be the bag holder and the coffee holder and get to go to some really fun places, um, see some beautiful sunrises as well, because it's at the crack of dawn. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> um, two adult daughters, Hannah, our eldest, just bought her first home this year, which was very exciting for us as mortgage lenders. Amazing. Yeah. Were, were you her mortgage lender for well, the house? absolutely. <laughs> and it was lovely, actually, because we got to the end of the transaction and realised that we didn't treat Hannah any differently to what we do in our customer base. Oh, wonderful. So it just reinforced, mm. too, that we're... We look after everyone really well, um, but that first home buyer experience was lovely to watch her go through, and she's living her best life at the moment Amazing. in her own home. Yeah, and um, so whereabouts is she located? So she's in Brisbane. Um, she's a teacher, and our youngest daughter Ebony also lives in Brisbane. So um, yeah, it's been a really busy year. Nice to see um, and to get the perspective from a buyer that's also. A family member. Yeah, because you yeah. can get some real honest feedback from that too, well, right? Honestly, she rang me at nine o'clock one night <laughs> to ask how an offset account works. So, yeah. Did you tell her to ring in office hours or you took the phone call, I did take that phone call. I did take that phone call and it wasn't until after the loan settled that she said, oh, now I get what you were talking about, Mum. So that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. But really rewarding seeing one of our own children enter the market this year, which I think it's a great time to enter the market. Yeah, yeah. And Karen, tell us a a little bit about your journey to owning your own business. Yeah, well, I've been a mortgage broker for a long time. I've never really worked for a bank. I've always been a mortgage broker, so I think I'm spoilt for choice. I've always had choices, so I've never really known any different. Um, I was a employee for a while and then took that big leap into becoming self-employed, well, five years ago now, which has been a blink. Um, yeah, different way of approaching things. It's lovely having your own business. You get to do things the way that you feel that they should be done. Um, and yeah, it's been busy, um, but very rewarding growing something from nothing to where we are today and yeah. being able for Greg actually to come into the business as well has been so wonderful. Mm, you've definitely had um, that period there. So you had a couple of years and you had COVID as yes. well as a new business owner. Yeah. So, yeah. But it boomed. It boomed yeah. during COVID because yeah. everyone was stuck at home. They realised how important it is to have a good environment to work in at home. 
and it really did change the way that lenders look at lending as well mm. and um, perspectives changed and it was actually a boom period. So I timed it really nicely to start a business <laughs> yeah. during that period. Yeah. That's not a hot tip for anybody thinking about a <laughs> no, pandemic coming up. Please don't <laughs> rely on a disaster as your business plan. <laughs> so, Karen, tell us a little bit about your client base in, in general. What do you see yeah. the most of? Well, we're a young business, so um, we primarily look after first-time buyers, probably because I really love looking after first-time buyers, and that naturally um, progresses to upgraders as well. Mm -hmm. So you've bought your first home, you've had a couple of kids, you're upgrading, you need to sell your existing property in order to upgrade or alternatively you're accessing equity for investing. So that's the demographic that we see the most of but first home buyers is usually the start of the journey and it goes from there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's definitely a special area to kind of see the joy on people's faces as they put, you know, it's a big commitment to start off and, and buy first home, but it, you make that process so much smoother and so much easier as well yeah. for them. Yeah. I think it's more about being organised and knowing what to expect and having somebody in your corner that is invested in helping you enter the market and taking that stress out of it. And mortgage brokers generally do that. Because mm. it can um, be quite daunting for people that are doing it for the first time. You don't know yeah. what you don't know. I think um, there's so much information available too, Kelsey. It's mm. like um, lots of information. Usually that age group too are very active socially. So they're at a barbecue. They're talking about the experience they've just had in entering the market and buying their first home. But doing my job, one thing I know for sure is that every single person that comes through has a different set of circumstances and um, I suppose the advantage is to get tailored advice specific to your needs and your scenario prior to entering the market so that when you do enter the market there's no surprises, you know what to expect, you're fully organised and you've had time to prepare Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's really one of the key things that we do. And most of the work that we're doing at the moment is actually helping people enter the market. Yeah. Mm. The finances just seems to be a bit of a byproduct. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and that's great because that's today's topic for the podcast. So we're going to pick your brain. And I know you're really excited to get stuck into this topic, Karen. So um, at the moment, I guess there's lots of questions around, you know, is the bank willing to lend money as easy as they was, you know, a couple of years ago because of the high interest rate environment? What are you sort of seeing out there at the moment? We're... Um, We're seeing lots of active buyers. It's a very busy market at the moment and we've got a few things going on that's creating pressure and unfortunately in some cases forcing people to buy maybe before they're actually ready. Mm. Um, Rents are causing a lot of stress and unfortunately rents are going up in line with the interest rates as well. Um, I think that a lot of buyers want that Australian dream of owning a home and they're prepared to put in the hard yards to get there, the banks are open for business. We're getting some wonderful results. We're getting good negotiated rates. They're working hard to keep customers um, once they've got them. And I'm not actually seeing any resistance from the banks whatsoever. Mm. Um, And as an example, lodged an application 4.30 yesterday afternoon and it got approved just as I was leaving this morning. That's brilliant. So some of the banks are really quick to deliver and are happy to see the volumes coming in. Um, 
it's it's just I suppose knowing what bank to go to and being able to identify which are the the lenders that are appropriate for the deal. Yeah. And that that's why it happens quickly because our customers are, are prepared and we know what we're doing before they've even signed a contract. Yeah. Do you find that with the um, interest rates being where they are at the moment that um, you know a lot of people might be thinking, well, you know, it's it's high interest rates. Maybe now's not the best time. But in in reality, for those that are buying a house in a higher interest rate environment, they're probably more prepared, right, for change. absolutely. And I keep reminding everyone um, at the moment, we're going through a cycle, aren't we? And interest rates are hopefully at the peak. Um, Well, I hope they're at the peak, if not, you know, a little bit below the peak of an interest rate fluctuation. Once we get over this hump and you've been pre-qualified and you've entered the market... You can do an amazing things to save interest mm. because you've seen the worst, you've gotten through the worst, and if you're thriving in that environment, it's only going to get better and better on once the rates start to stabilise and possibly even soften towards the end of, of next year. Mm. So I think it's a great time to enter the market. Um, might not be aware, but when banks are assessing how much you can borrow, they actually assess you 3% higher than the actual interest rate. So assessment rates are between 9 and 10% at the moment mm. for most borrowers. So they've already factored in quite a lot of interest rate rises and pressure with living expenses in that assessment. So mm. imagine when those rates come down, it's going to be party time for a lot of borrowers that have maybe not had a great time over the last few well, 12 months or more. Yeah. Um, hang in there is my best advice. Do the best that you can. It's not for 30 years, this fluctuation. It's temporary. We're going through a correction. It will get better. Yeah. And do the banks always do that 3% extra? Does that number jump around a little bit? Uh, It can fluctuate a little bit. And I've noticed, and funny you should say that, Kelsey, because some of the banks have actually reduced their assessment rates, their buffer, in the last week or two. Mm -hmm. And and that's just another indication that the banks are open for business. They recognise that it's unlikely that rates are going to go up by another 3%. Mm -hmm. And some of the banks have reduced to 2.5%. But it's actually government regulations that buffer. The banks have got responsible lending guidelines set by the government and they interpret it differently in certain sections. Um, But generally, they have to be seen that they've buffered quite a few rate rises. Unfortunately, though, the COVID rates, those buffers are long gone. And that's why there's a bit of hardship um, around people coming off fixed rates at the moment because the buffer is gone. That 3%'s over and done with and we've exceeded that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's understandable. And unfortunately, too, with um, the statistics support that you buy a a home and in that same year you upgrade your car. Yeah. And a lot of the time, if you're a first-home buyer as well, you're furnishing your house using GEM and GO and interest-free facilities. Mm. And usually it's not the home loan that's causing hardship. It's usually all those discretionary or additional consumer loans that, that are the, the tough ones because they're a shorter loan term, they're a higher interest rate. Mm. And do you see a lot of um, people that uh, come in and sort of um, want that support to, to do some consolidation? Maybe they've created some, some space for yeah. themselves to do some consolidation? Yeah. Um, we have to be very careful that it benefits the customer because mm. a loan term um, for a home loan is, is 25 to 30 years. And we've just got to do the math and be very clear in our instructions that, okay, we're going to access some equity, consolidate some debt because your cash flow 
is the primary concern at the moment. However, it's still good to get that debt paid down within two to five years and we'll just replicate the repayment so that they achieve that. It's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah we do that a lot, Tanila, only because otherwise the um, customer's not benefiting. Their mm. banks are rubbing their hands together because they're getting interest on a 30-year basis. We don't want that. We want you to get the loan paid and minimise that interest charge as best as you can in a short shortest amount of time. But cash flow is super important at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And then so if we look to those, those the first home buyers demographic again, um, particularly we might have some listeners in that space, um, maybe they're in the space that they're thinking of getting set up for that loan. Um, what are some things that you're doing to help, you know, some tips to help them prepare for that, you know, building a deposit, um, yeah. how, to, how, to, how to look at their cash flow, how yes. to make that look attractive? Yeah, getting prepared is key um, for a really stress-free and enjoyable experience when you do hit the market. Um, depends on your circumstances. We get a lot of first-time buyers that are still living at home, which is wonderful because they've got an opportunity to save more. Um, and what I normally do with first-time buyers that are living at home, we'll have a look at their borrowing capacity, we'll model their repayments, and then I get first-time buyers to save the equivalent of what a mortgage repayment would be per week and add an extra $100 on to cover rates and insurance try it on for size and if um, they start doing that over a three month I, I always say minimum of three months go away and save that that figure whatever it may be if it cramps their style and they can't have a ho- holiday or you know they're not enjoying that repayment or it's it's causing the budget constraints well then your purchase price is too high the loan amount is too high and you need to adjust your expectations around purchase price. Yeah, and that's a particularly interesting one to do at periods um, where expenses might be higher too. So, you know, if you tried that on for size over the Christmas period, for example, um, yeah. that's a really great indication of what happens when my expenses are a little bit higher than usual. Yes. So I love that strategy. It's a great, yeah, great It really concept. works well too because you're prepared and it's not such a shock. Um, other first-home buyers are already in the rental market and um, very difficult to save while you're paying rent. So we, we do all the same things, check the repayments, make sure that um, taking on additional debt is going to either replicate or be a little bit more than what they're paying in rent. Um, and just make sure that there's the ability to service the loan, save or accelerate your repayments and still have a life because there's nothing worse than buying a house and then not being able to enjoy life as well. You should be able to have both. Absolutely. Otherwise, it takes the joy out of having the house. Absolutely. In some ways when you're living in it. Yeah. So what should the first home buyers be looking to save as as a deposit? Is there a different percentage that they might need to provide? Oh, how long is a piece of string, Kelsey? (laughs) But um, everyone's situation is a little different. We have some wonderful, wonderful government guarantees that are available at the moment. Um, if you're lucky enough to be eligible for those guarantees, and we'll talk about those a bit later on with the specifics, um, 5% of the purchase price, and then you need to cover your costs, which if your purchase price is $500,000 or less, generally around about five grand. Um, and depending on the person, um, we'll get customers in that are savers by nature. And I always ask the question, well, what do you need to keep as a buffer so you can sleep at night? So... Um, everyone's a little bit different with their risk threshold and and um, 
what they need to keep. I'll have some other customers that will put every single dollar into their deposit and costs. And they're like, Karen, we're still earning a wage, we'll be fine. Um, everyone's a little different, we just tailor it accordingly. If you can't access the scheme, generally the minimum deposit, and this is going to sound weird, is 8% of the purchase price plus your costs. Okay, 8%. I know that sounds mm. weird. Um, the reason for that is because there's mortgage insurance mm. and we've actually got to put in more of a deposit so that I can add mortgage insurance into the loan um, so that it's included in your repayments. Mm. So not an easy question to answer and that's why we always pre-qualify our buyers before they hit the market because I need to determine where they sit yep. and set clear guidelines on what their deposit requirements look like, give them a target and bang, it happens. Yeah. And that's something that the broker brings to the table because as a first home buyer, that's really hard to navigate and, and understand yeah. that to your individual situation. Um, a question for you though, Karen, does the bank change their interest rate depending on how much deposit you have put down? Do yes. they see that as an additional risk? Yes, yes, they do, Kelsey, and that's a great question. So um, there's milestones in every mortgage. So when you do a minimum deposit loan, it's the riskiest lending that the bank is going to do, and therefore your interest rate is higher. Um, we monitor our customers' interest rates, though, because um, just naturally, well, we hope that the value goes up, the loan balance gets paid down, and as you reach certain milestones, so the first milestone is 10% equity, I'll negotiate a better rate. The biggest milestone is 20% equity because then there's no mortgage insurance. That's when we're talking some really good rates. Mm -hmm. um, after that, 30% equity, we're, we're on fire. You know, the rates are usually really, really good in that space. So you're absolutely right. Less risk, better interest rate. So if somebody's sitting out there and they're thinking that they've got a, you know, 15% deposit and um, maybe they're happy to wait a little bit longer, 20% is a pretty good number then? Yeah, 20% means that you're avoiding mortgage insurance. However, again, and sorry to complicate this, there are some banks, though, that will waive that mortgage insurance premium for a 15% deposit. Oh, okay. And there's just so many moving parts and... Um, Gee, I'm well, glad it's your job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we do it all day, every day. So I'm just, it's just another day for us. But I can imagine, you know, friends sitting at a barbecue. Oh, we didn't pay mortgage insurance because we had 15%. Would just, somebody else would hear that and say, well, why can't I get that? Mm. Yeah. Um, and it's because everyone's in a different situation and it's all about getting tailored advice specific to your scenario. Mm. What about options for people that maybe they're, they're not in the government's grant space of things but they, and they're not quite there with their deposit or, um, or need to come up with some more equity? What options do they have? Yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of different ways we can approach it. Um, if, for instance, you're paying rent and you're through an agent, um, you've met this thing called the genuine savings requirement. So from the bank's perspective, you're already paying the equivalent of a mortgage mm -hmm. repayment. It's just not on your own mortgage. So sometimes the banks are a little bit more lenient when you've shown, they call it big fancy word propensity. So you've shown the ability to pay the equivalent of a mortgage repayment. They will count that um, rent that you've paid as meeting the genuine savings requirement. Now, I've got more lenders to play with in that space and technically that that buyer would be able to be given gifted funds from mum and dad, for example, or use a tax return or sell a car or a caravan or a motorbike and use that as their deposit. Mm. So 
Um, again, circumstances dictate what you can do in that space. For the vast majority of people, though, if you're living at home, you're a first-home buyer, my advice would be save at least 5% of the purchase price, um, then get some advice once you've reached that target so that you can fill in those last few little gaps and see where you sit. Can you get a, a scheme loan? Do you need to have a mortgage-insured loan? Do we need to top it up with a gift is there an opportunity for a guarantor? Lots of different things that you can do to actually enter the market. Yeah, and um, for, for our listeners, do you want to talk a little bit about what what, what does a guarantor position yeah. look like? Yeah. yeah, so a guarantee is essentially a paper transaction and um, the government guarantee scheme at the moment is whereby you put in your 5% deposit and the government is actually guaranteeing 15% of the value of the property so the government is offering a guaranteed no mortgage insurance, better interest rate, absolutely love it. Aren't they being nice? That sounds wonderful. Oh, finally, the That's what that makes yeah, me think. <laughs> and I agree with you, Kelsey, and over the years, because I've been a mortgage broker for, oh my goodness, 18 years now, the government's come out with different versions, different grants, it chops and changes all the time. This one actually works and is useful and is making a difference, in my opinion anyway, um, we've done so many hundreds, hundreds of government guarantee loans um, and gotten first home buyers into a house that otherwise would probably have had to have saved for another 12 months. And 12 months in this market is, you know, potentially 40, 50 grand yep. in equity um, or additional cost to buy that same house. Um, so this scheme actually works. If you um, can't access the scheme, because there are requirements and hoops to jump through, you can have this thing called a family guarantee. So a family member offers equity against their property to cancel out your need to have a deposit. Now, the same rules apply. You've still got to show the bank that you're ready for a mortgage. So in those situations, I say, well, okay, you're still living at home. Here's your repayments go and save it for three months and then the bank's going to make sure that you're in a position to proceed and you're not going to be in hardship taking on this debt. Um, so sometimes a family guarantee is actually harder to get approved than an, a minimum deposit loan. The bank's got an obligation to make sure that they're not putting the guarantors in a position of hardship or... Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a space that's always changing and interestingly, a lot of the smaller banks have actually exited out of doing family guarantees and it's mostly the big four and a few little fringe lenders that will do family guarantees now. And that's because we've got so many government guarantees available, um, it's less appetising, I suppose, or less appealing to the banks to take on that, that or to tie up that guarantor's equity. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it, that's that's an ever-changing space. But at the moment, in the current lending conditions, harder to get that approved than a minimum deposit loan, in in my experience anyway. Yeah. It's fascinating that there's so many ways that you can kind mm. of get a mortgage nowadays. It's, it's pretty yeah. amazing that there is that opportunity for a lot of people that wouldn't have that 20% deposit to just put down. Yeah, well, this is why we love the government guarantees so much. Um, it's an Australia-wide incentive. It's been, I think we're in our fourth year now, and um, basically not just open to first home buyers anymore, but now also um, 
buyers that haven't had a property for 10 years or I more. I was going to say, what, what are some of those eligibility yeah. criteria for the first first home buyers? So, um, so that's one of the changes that they've made. Previous to this um, year, you had to be an Australian citizen. Now you can be a permanent resident um, and access the scheme. It is means tested. So at the moment, the the income thresholds are 125 grand if you're single, um, 200 grand income for the previous financial year for a family. Okay, so the document that the government asks us to provide is the notice of assessment for the previous financial year. That's what they use to assess whether or not you're eligible. Mm-hmm. The other part of it is there's property price caps. So we're in regional um, Queensland. Our property price cap is 550 or less. Yep. In the capital cities, most of them and all the capital cities are different and it's based on their median um, price for their properties. So in Brisbane, for example, 750 or less. Okay, um, but we've just got to check the postcode to check what the maximum purchase price is and just work back accordingly from there. And these are all really interesting because it is so complicated. You it know, is. And they're always changing as well too, aren't they? So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's why it's key to get advice because it's very confusing. There's so much information out there and typically you look on the government website and, yeah, it's hard to navigate mm-hmm. and a little bit ambiguous even. So um, some of them are good. They've got eligibility checkers on there but then – some are open to interpretation, like being a permanent resident. We've got a lot of lovely New Zealanders in Australia. And the assumption is is that you're a permanent resident because you come from New Zealand. It's not actually the case. Wow. wow. Yeah. In some cases, you're not on a permanent residency visa. Wow. See, these are all the little all, all the little yeah. traps that, that people can fall into. And this is clearly an area that having a mortgage broker in your corner is mm-hmm. a huge benefit. Um what are some what are some of the other key benefits do you think that you you see um, in using a mortgage broker over just traditionally going to yeah, a bank? Well, um, the stats are clear. People want choices. So, over seventy percent of all new mortgages are done by mortgage brokers now, and that's because people. Well, it's hard to navigate for starters. Um, people don't. I, I find they don't want to deal directly with the banks because it's it's hard. Um, They want choices, but also exposure to um, a professional that knows and can recommend where they're suitable. Nobody wants to hear no, me included. (laughs) Um, So it's all about making sure that we're asking the right bank and putting the application at the right bank and negotiating. And I think probably too, people are realising now too that most brokers are, are not transactional base they're actually invested in in looking after you for the life of your mortgage and it's the after settlement care as well we negotiate our customers interest rates we're always making sure that the product's acceptable we're checking in on a regular basis and if I I know if you don't ask the banks for a discount you don't get it you're not going to get a phone call from the bank saying hey (laughs) you've got 20% equity now we should be getting you a better rate that's not going to happen but um, there's software now and we use a a certain software too that actually sends me an alert to say your customers now cracked 20% equity time to review this loan Mm -hmm. and technology is wonderful for that 
Um, yeah, so I think the value in a broker is that they're invested in your personal success as well as um, making sure that you're in an appropriate product. Identify and recognise too that your needs are going to change. Mm. Um, your situation's going to change 100 times over after you buy a house. And it's just making sure that you're in it with that journey in mind. Um, the other thing too that sets us apart from the banks, and I think... Um, has really turned the stats in our favour is best interest duty. So a few years ago, best interest duty was introduced for brokers and it's really highlighted that um, legally brokers have to act in your best financial interest. Yay. Mm. Absolutely, sounds, 100% on board with that. Sounds logical, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> whereas the banks aren't. They're working for their shareholders making a profit. Mm. So it's a very different headspace and... Um, I love that we're now under best interest duty. I think it's made all the difference. Absolutely. And I, I think it gives it consumers a lot of confidence to be mm. able to go to you and, and know that um, that their interests are, are being put ahead. You know, that's the whole whole point of it, isn't it? And, and knowing yeah. that you're in the driver's seat with them. So, mm. yeah. And I think this, from an end user perspective as well, and Karen, I came to you for, for our mortgage as well, mm. um, just having someone do it for you because you're time poor and you exactly. just wouldn't have the time to do it yourself yeah. is just a huge help. Plus, yeah. Plus there's, um, there's so much that happens at that stage, right? So if it's my first home now, mm. I've already had to navigate going out there and feeling nervous about making an offer on a property. Um, then all of a sudden that offer's been accepted. I've got a contract. I now need to get that looked over by a conveyancer or a solicitor. Mm -hmm. That goes through. Now I'm dealing with, you know, building inspectors. I'm dealing with pest control agents. I'm, I'm doing that whole process. So yep. actually having somebody to go, this is what you can be expecting now. <laughs> and there's times at which they're going to need to have you know, all these legal documents put in front of them and and actually understand that fully and go I've got this confidence this peace of mind yeah. that I can move into this place and and feel good about it rather than having the anxiety or the stress involved yeah. that comes on with it too yeah. and minimizing that chance of no too because sometimes I'll get a customer in that's gone direct to a bank and it's a quirky policy um, postcode restriction probationary period something really obscure that might have caused a no in their case that's a slam dunk at 15 other banks. Mm. Yeah. So it's it's making sure that you're getting a good outcome um, and not suffering that terrible no because that's the last thing you want when exactly what you said, Tanil, all that other stuff is going on. Mm. And it's so important because your, your, your mortgage is probably one of the biggest loans that you'll ever yeah. take in your life so you it's you got to get it right mm. um, and working as best and as hard as possible yeah for you. and and having being able to enjoy that process as well um, mm. there is something special about your first home and um, being able to enjoy the experience is really good yeah um, and that's all about being organized which is probably why you love what you do I so much because <laughs> you do. get to be a part of that every day yeah it is special so let's get down to some specifics then, because I'm sure some of our listeners are wanting some detail. Um, and let's jump into interest rates. So how do you navigate when to use a fixed or variable rate? Very much determined by the person's situation. So um, there's pros and cons to everything. And we, as part of our assessment and comparison and in choosing a bank, we have a really robust conversation around this. Um, let's say we get a young couple in, they're expecting their first baby and they know that one of their incomes is going to be reduced for a short period. 
we might consider a fixed rate. So basically a fixed loan, the benefits of a fixed loan is that you've got certainty around repayments, um, you're not going to get any surprises, you, it's easier to budget because you know exactly what those repayments are going to be and you strip away that anxiety of, oh, what are the interest rates doing? Um, the downside of a fixed loan though is that in a lot of cases, no accelerated repayments, um, you're not able to offset many fixed loans as well and you can get penalised to pay it out early. So we're very careful about having that conversation because it doesn't suit everyone. Um, a variable loan we love as well because you've got that flexibility to hook in, pay it down as quickly as you can um, without any penalties. So it really comes down to the scenario. So if I've got customers that have got really good savings, we're accessing the scheme, we're minimising their deposit, I want them to benefit from offset. So an offset account is every dollar that you have in an offset account, you're not paying interest on your variable home loan. So if you've got 20 grand in offset, you're not paying interest on 20 grand of your home loan. And it's just a really passive way, I suppose, of minimising that interest charge. So we do a lot of combination loans as well, or sometimes they're called split loans, where there'll be some fixed and some variable at the moment in this interest rate environment, not many people are fixing. We have got a few um, for different reasons. I've got one at the moment, um, she's planning on retiring in two years. We fixed her loan for the next two years because she doesn't want to be worried about what the interest rates are doing. And cash flow is important to her. Um, most customers at the moment though are going variable because even though we had that unexpected rate rise last week, um, the expectation is is that we're close to peaking and that hopefully the rates may soften towards well this time next year. Mm -hmm. If a client had locked in a fixed rate at a higher level and then interest rates do fall do they have the opportunity to um, to break the fixed rate? They do at a cost mm -hmm. so that's where the penalty comes in so the exact opposite of what's just happened so during COVID I think the best fixed rate we got was 1.89. Wow. Which is scary, scary it's stuff. Not a rate, is it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a present, isn't it? <laughs> yes, I'm looking at you, yes, Kelsey. <laughs> it's not that anymore. <laughs> so um, the benefit of fixing at such a crazy low rate is that you've maximised your ability to pay the loan down as quickly as you can during that fixed period, especially if you had a or build your savings so that you can bulk reduce the loan. Um, the opposite now is applying. So the fixed rates are close to 7%. Let's say you fixed in today for the next two years, but the rates go down next year. You're stuck on that higher rate. You sell the property and the bank will charge you an adjustment fee. So the difference between what they would have earned on that fixed rate compared to what they could fix it at the time that your loan settles. And I know that's probably blown everyone's head off then, but basically, and I've seen this before in my working career, um, back in the 90s, we got up around the, the 9, 10, 11% mark. Everyone was panicking and then the GFC hit and we went from 9% down to 4%. And all of those poor people that were fixed at that higher rate were selling properties or having to just work through that period um, and getting really horrible break costs to yeah. get out of the fixed term. So I think, to be fair, banks are a business. 
they have to buy their money from overseas, they've got certain margins that they need to hit to be profitable for their shareholders, the consumer gets passed on that, yeah. regardless of yeah. what you choose to do. Yeah. So it's um, just being mindful of the environment, making sure we're having those discussions um, and, and just recommending an appropriate structure, not for the next 30 years, but generally you can lock from between one and five years mm -hmm. and just mitigating that risk. Yeah, and I think it's really great that you can um, spell it that it's based on the strategy for the client rather than just going, this is what a variable rate looks like and this is what a fixed rate looks like and let's try and you know try and take something out of that data, which yeah. we might know nothing about at this point in time too. So I've got a, um, a method. So when um, we're doing borrowing capacity and we're talking repayments and we're picking a bank and we're talking fixed variable offset, all of those lovely discussions, I always look at the repayments. Um, we add an extra 2% or whatever the the climate is is indicating at the moment and we break it down to weekly repayments and I say, well, okay, is that going to cause some issues for your cash flow if it ever gets to that point? If the answer is no, we stay on variable mm. and write it out. If the answer is, oh, my God, we're going to have to get a second job or a third job and sell our car and do all sorts of crazy things, well, you know, it's well worth having a conversation about possibly fixing a portion of the loan to protect against those bad scenarios. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then say, for example, you've, um, you've, you've got your loan in place, whether you're a first home buyer or not, and um, you've made some really good gains then, so you've been able to pay it down um, more quickly. Um, some people can do that in a in a better me method than others you know that it becomes a little easy for some but if I what if I want to have that as my target I want to get this paid down as quickly as possible are there ways that you know oh, strategies I love those use? conversations that's right up my alley <laughs> Chanel I've got the best calculators and this is another discussion that we have right at the start okay what's your goals here um, and and often I will have customers sitting in front of me saying right this mortgage is gone in 10 years um, we do the calculations. We always still do a 30-year loan term, but we set the repayments according to whatever it, it takes to get that loan paid out in 10 years. The beauty of that is, is that if you've got a tight month and some unexpected expenditure or cost coming in, you can relax back down to those minimum repayments mm. and ramp it back up. Um, same, same scenario with an offset account. Um, so those calculations and my favourite and poor first home buyers, honestly, they, they get it every visit, even just bite-sized pieces. So you, I always recommend $50 in it. Can you afford $50 extra a week? Mm. We look at the repayments and the answer is usually yes. And then I show them. So like, for example, 400 grand mortgage, which is reasonable. Um, extra fi 50 bucks a week in repayments saves you about 110 grand. Holy 110 grand in interest over the life of the loan. So wow. powerful. And this actually reminds me of the podcast we did the other week when we were talking about, imagine if from when you was 18, you just saved that yeah. small amount. I think we used $50 as an example. Mm. And the impact that, that has over a long term. It's mad, and you can isn't do it? without it. In yeah. all reality, most people can do without the fifty dollars. That's right. If they try and find yeah. ways to save it. Yeah. yeah. But it's interesting. I picked up there. You've been speaking weekly a lot, but there's a lot of banks that don't. They don't want you to pay weekly, do they? Mm. No. Well, it's blown me away, to be honest. During this period of the interest rates going up on a monthly basis, 
Um, I just assumed, being a veteran of the industry, 18 years, all the rest of it, I just thought the banks would adjust the repayments in line with whatever the new interest rate is. That would be the assumption, am I right? That logic doesn't always apply <laughs> in no. that field, Well, <laughs> so I've discovered is that the technology couldn't keep up with the rate changes and what seemed to have happened is that customers that had paid more into their mortgages, the, because the minimum repayments weren't being changed quickly enough, it actually ate into their redraw or mm. their funds that were paid in advance. Oh, wow, okay. And so there's been a real shift in the way that the banks are doing the new loans and what, and especially if you've got an offset account, they're actually, when we sign loan documents, there's no option other than monthly. Um, and then after settlement, you can actually go in and trigger weekly or fortnightly repayments. Yeah, okay. Yeah, wow. so I um, I learnt that lesson last year. A lot of customers ringing saying, something's wrong with my repayments. And once we sorted it out with the banks, it was, okay, maybe the minimum repayments haven't been adjusted. And yeah, they hadn't. Surprised me too. Yes. Interesting. I, I, I did hear a few people that had, had said that that exact scenario had happened to them. And, you know, this is people that they're, they're wanting to pay down their, their debt as quickly as possible and they're suddenly looking at their accounts going, this doesn't seem right. These numbers don't yeah. don't add up. What's going on here? Yes, um, yes. I've had a lot of those conversations too, Tanil, and it's really surprised me. So I think um, f- during this interest rate environment, perhaps having an offset account and paying into an offset account on a weekly or fortnightly basis but have the repayment come out on a monthly basis kind of mitigates that. Because every dollar that's in the offset account, you're not paying interest on the home loan anyway. So the impact of not paying as as regularly as weekly is lessened. Mm. Yeah. Um, but it's more of a cash flow management tool than anything. Uh, weekly hurts less than monthly, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and if you have the ability to pay it weekly, though, I assume um, if you weren't using an offset account, you're just paying directly to the loan. If you do pay weekly, yeah. that's going to have a, a better impact on the loan than paying Absolutely. monthly. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because interest is calculated daily on what you owe. Um, if you're reducing how much you owe on a more regular basis, eventually you're going to be paying less interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that works. So let's jump onto a new topic and insurance. So it is somewhat related to, I guess, having a loan and having a mortgage because it's really important to make sure that you've got cover in place so that you can, in the event that you need to claim um, or a claimable event, you can still make those loan repayments. So you have in many of those conversations with people. Yeah, as part of signing loan documents, actually, actually, um, our compliance is that we do have that conversation um, around checking your superannuation. Um, it's not compulsory, compulsory actually to have personal insurance for mm-hmm. a mortgage. Years and years ago, we used to have to enforce mortgage protection insurance, yeah. um, but that's long been abolished. Um, for me personally, and this is just my personal opinion, mortgage protection insurance itself is it only relates specifically to the mortgage. So to me personally, I feel that it's a good gap coverage but when you're taking on additional debt, it's better to check your insurances um, broadly. So life insurance, income protection, what you've got in your super and whether or not you need some outside of super insurance as well. Um, not just specific to the mortgage, but life. Yeah. 
Mm. Um, but a good gap coverage. But in my experience, and I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but in my experience, it's expensive and obscure, hard to claim. Mm. Yep. The mortgage protection policies, you yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There are some of the lenders like Commonwealth Bank, for example, that have um, built in insurance now. They have this thing called compassionate care. Mm. And thankfully, we've never had to worry about accessing it. But um, for the first 12 months of a mortgage, they if somebody passes away or is terminally ill, they actually pay the repayments for 12 months. Mm. Okay. And that's why we've seen, so they're kind of, like you said, obscure, they, they're kind of different policies and, and you know, uh, we're very big advocates for clients understanding what a comprehensive insurance policy is and that it's there for, you know, you've been you've been underwritten in it, which means that your, your health events have been um, considered bef- when you go into the contract. Um, it's there based on your needs, so covering out on your expenses or, or, or those things that are relevant to you. But there are these these mortgage protection policies, policies and these other ones that come up at times that, yes, they have the, the bank's benefit in mind because in these cases, if I am unable to work because of illness or I pass away, it's covering the repayments. Exactly. And it's covering the loan balance. So it's not mm. there for me. The bank's going to take take those those funds. Um, you know, there's a benefit there because I'm not having to come up with it for that time. But there are these little catches at times. So if people do have mortgage protection policies in place, there have been some things that I've gone and had a look at and went, well, that's interesting. You know, this mortgage protection policy has an involuntary unemployment clause in it, which means that if I was, if I was um, laid off, I've been made unemployed involuntarily to myself, it will actually cover repayments. Whereas a traditional income protection policy, it's not going to do that. Yeah. So I, th- I think it's great. You know, the idea is to have a look at what the overlay mm. is. What do I mm. have in super? What do I need outside of super? What might I have in place already if I've already got a loan in place or what are they offering me? And, and assess which one of those things is my biggest risk that I want to make sure is sorted out yeah. for myself and my family. And in the case of first-time buyers to a lot of the time it's two financially independent people that are becoming de facto and it doesn't get more de facto than buying a house together. (laughs) So you're actually blending your or joining your life together. So that to me prompts a review on insurance anyway, doesn't it? Absolutely. Major change in circumstances. That's right. Setting those goals again for the future and deciding what's next. Yeah. 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 So perhaps um, for our listeners who then have already paid down a big chunk of their home loans um, and they're thinking about, okay, what's what's next? I'm, I'm always at the end of that payment term now because they've done such a great job in being disciplined. Um, what do you usually talk about to those types of clients when they're considering borrowing more money for another purpose such as perhaps investing? Because I'm sure you would get people coming to yeah. ask you that question too. Lots of people actually and Equity for lending and um, equity itself are two different things. So I think probably the key point I need to make here is that when we're accessing equity to lend, we're working in percentages. So the formula is we lend up to 80% of whatever the value of the property is minus whatever's owing on the loan. And what's left over is your equity. You can use that for upgrades, Um, purchasing an investment property, entering the share market, um, wealth creation, basically. Everyone's a little bit different on what they come to us for. Um, We'll see upgraders, so they're accessing equity, they're changing their existing property to a rental and they're accessing the equity to buy a bigger home because they've got children now. Or 
they're happy with their house, they're accessing equity, they might buy an investment property or they might be getting some managed funds. Um, when there's a purpose change, we just make sure we structure the loan accordingly so that we're not blending non-deductible debt with deductible debt. Mm-hmm. Um, and we always recommend when you get to that point, um, the, a common conversation I have is kind of like, well, Karen, what do we do? We're not quite sure what we want to do. And that's when I introduce the likes of you guys into the equation as well. Well, look, you know, you're at that point now. You've done the hard yards. You've paid down your home loan. You're not sure about how to go about it. Now it's time to get some tailored advice around the next best step for what you feel is important because everyone's got a different risk threshold mm-hmm. um, and different goals in that area. We'll get customers in that want 10 properties by the time they're 30. Um, other customers that are like, oh, my God, I don't want any debt, just want to be living my best life debt-free, um, they might access equity for wealth creation so and, and um, engage a financial planner for wealth creation and, and manage funds. Mm-hmm. Everyone's a little different, but basically equity is using what you've paid down in order to facilitate the next step, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Well, I think um, we've hit a lot of great points, but I thought I'd just check in with you and see, do you have any further closing thoughts before we wrap things up? If we've got first home buyers out there, maybe in particular listening? Yeah, I think in this particular market at the moment, it's challenging. It seems to be very much a seller's market, um, not just for us locally, but pretty much across Australia. Things are tough. Um, I think there's a lot of negative commentary out there at the moment. Um, and I just close your ears to it a little bit. Um, there's always an upside to everything. Things might be a little bit tough with cash flow and living expenses and interest rates at the moment, but just keep in mind it's temporary. We're going through a corrective phase. Things are going to get better. If you're a mortgage holder at the moment and you're stressing out because we're not quite sure where we're peaking, hang in there. It's most of the commentary saying that it's going to change next year. Um, if you're a first home buyer that wants to hit the market, do your research. Go and talk to a professional mortgage broker, get some advice that's tailored to you specifically and um, hit the market. Go to open homes, have a look and see your competition, get used to dealing with agents, um, get a feel for the market that you want to buy in because when the right house comes along that's meant to be yours, you need to pull on that knowledge to get that confidence to say, hey, real estate agent, here's our offer. Um, We think that's fair because such and such sold for around the corner for whatever it sold for. And um, unfortunately, we're in a market where it's by offer, by negotiation and a multiple offer situation where, you know, you're going to be competing against a lot of other buyers you need to be confident in yourself that that offer that you're putting forward is informed. And whenever you're in that offer situation and you've got competition, it's human nature. You're going to think it's not enough or it's too much. There's never a happy space in between. And if you haven't hit the market and you don't know the market that you're playing in, that's going to be a very difficult step. Really so great. research. Yeah. yeah, I think you you uh, you were really helpful even when I bought my first home in that space to, to give me some some good tips and some good guidance before I was ready to make an offer on my place. So, yeah, we can definitely definitely advocate for mortgage brokers, particularly Karen in this space. <laughs> Absolutely, <Thank you. laughs> our pleasure. 
Well, Karen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming on the podcast again. It's been really lovely speaking with you. And I think even we've got a lot out of those conversations today. Oh, lovely. Thank you. Um, and you make it really easy for us to understand as well. I hope so. Nice That's simple the plan. Terms. That's the plan. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for having me. So for our listeners, we hope that you enjoyed today's content. And if so, please don't forget to like, subscribe and comment. And we will see you next time. The opinions of the presenters are objectively ascertainable and are not intended to be financial product or personal advice.